we have been in a series called His Name Will Be. And there are names all throughout the Bible where humanity partnered and in relationship with God, they gave God names. And it's a description of his nature towards us. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about Emmanuel, God with us. And here's my challenge in the series is not that you would just go, okay, Emmanuel, okay, tell me again, Pastor, God with us. Not that you would just know it, but that you would know it in your heart. And walk with a confidence that you would engage God in your circumstances. It's one thing to know Emmanuel, God with us in our minds. But it's another thing to be face to face with a mountain that is seemingly unmovable. And to know that that mountain is surrounded by angel armies. And that God is standing with you ready to tackle any test, any trial, any circumstance you're in. So a couple weeks ago, you can go back online and listen to Emmanuel, God with us. And last Sunday, some of y'all were almost too excited about the message that Josh brought. Tremendous word. I'm so grateful for him. And uh, I say that tongue in cheek. It was a powerful, powerful message. And uh, I thought no, no, nobody better, nobody better than to share on Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who has saved us and redeemed us, um, and taken away our sin. Aren't you grateful for Jesus as Savior? The Gospel of Matthew has been where we've spent the last couple weeks. First with Emmanuel, second with Jesus Savior. In fact, that's what the angel instructed in the dream given to Joseph. His name will be called Jesus because why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You need to know this truth. It's because of Jesus that we're reconciled in loving relationship with God Almighty. But Matthew, if you follow closely along, Matthew, he's got some objectives when he's writing. You know, if we all sat down and, and, and wrote a letter to a, uh, uh, to a similar audience, say we're writing the same person, all of us may have a different angle, a different perspective, a different history and life experience that we bring to that story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are sharing one story. It's called the gospel. But each of them, each of them has a different lens, if you will. One of Matthew's key lenses is he is convinced and He's all about convincing everyone who reads the Gospel of Matthew that Herod is a farce, Pilate isn't a real ruler, and Caesar, he's got nothing on this baby in a manger called Jesus. Because Jesus is the true king. In fact, there are three moments, three moments specifically in Matthew where Matthew's almost overstepping the bounds. And he's, 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 he's convincing the audience. One, you know this passage we're about to read. It's so familiar. But it is shocking. So let's read it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It just says kind of casually in our gospel, the visit of the Magi. 
But let's read this together. It'll come up. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Okay. Could you imagine if I went to the White House, somehow, because of God's favor on my life, I maneuvered my way and got in. And I'm sitting down with the president and said, listen, where is the real president? I mean, things not to do. Well, the Magi show up. There wasn't just three of them. They only brought three gifts. Theologians, historians, believers, probably a group in the triple digits, at least a hundred or so. And they arrive on the scene in Jerusalem a couple years actually after Jesus is born. And what do we read? We read the next line is, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Yeah, you think? You show up, hey, hey, I see your throne. I see what you've done with the place. You've, you've made a lot of great buildings, Herod. You've done a lot of good work. This is pretty amazing. But we just want to know where the real king is. Like, you know, where's the true king? This is Matthew. This is his subversive way of writing. And he's saying, listen, Herod ain't the king. And so he goes on. He says, and uh, uh, this he was disturbed by, naturally, in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, pe all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then King Herod called the Magi secretly, found out <laughs> from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, hey, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. In Matthew, there are these three moments. First, Jesus' birth. Matthew is writing, and under the unction and leadership of the Holy Spirit, he puts these pieces, among others, in play throughout his gospel. This first is the birth of Jesus. The second is, moments before Jesus' death, there's a conversation with a man named Pontius Pilate. And in Matthew's account of the gospel, Pontius Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Interestingly enough, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus answers in that moment. And he says, it is as you say. And then the final moment in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew does not account or record the ascension. Matthew's famous ending, our vision statement, reaching people, building lives, is the Great Commission. 
At the end of Matthew, Jesus says, All power and all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So Matthew invites his predominantly Jewish audience into the next movement of God. Gospel of Matthew is tethered to what's called the First Testament. You may know it as the Old Testament. I kind of like the First Testament because it is still very much 100% a testament unto God. Matthew has tethered this story of the Christ. How has he done this? He's done this by saying, my people, here is the king. Here is the one that I have sent to rule and to reign. And he has a kingdom that is not of this earth. And he calls for us to live in such a way. You are right now, many of you, you've responded to the kingdom of Christ. And so I think God operates. I'm not saying he always operates in this way, but I think at least how he did in my heart, he makes us aware through Emmanuel, week one, aware of God's nearness and of his goodness and of his love. And then that awareness leads to a recognition of our sin, of our guilt, of our shame, of our past. And it leads us to experience Christ as our Savior. Well, then what do we do? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Thank you. Calm down, everybody. (laughs) It's not a trick question. What do we do? Bend our knees. We give him our life, our allegiance. Allegiance is with Christ alone. He is our only hope. And so what we do for the rest of our days, daily, mind you, we get on our knees, we surrender, and we submit. There's three responses when Jesus gives us the invitation. First is, just so you know, these are all on the table. You can disobey. (laughs) You have permission to disobey. I don't recommend it, but it's on the table, okay? (laughs) You can can just outright disobey. Um, You can live life in disobedience to the rule and the reign of Christ's authority. I would reckon... Uh, uh, that, that most of our culture is just disobeying. Some of them innocently, like they have no idea about it, but others intentionally. Um, got to spend some good family time the last couple weeks. And, uh, you know, children are such a good teacher for the soul. Amen? Just filtering my stories real quick. Okay, I've got one. Um, and... I am amazed, I I was not like this, but I'm amazed that my daughters um, will just outright disobey on occasion. Um, (laughs) I 
alien to me. Um, I was perfect. And... Um, <laughs> But there are moments where it's, it's legitimate. Come on, parents, you know what I mean. It's legitimate. Their track record is on point. Obey, obey, obey. Then it's usually something simple. Like, hey, could you fold the blanket and put it up? And in that moment, the response, it's not just no. It's you always ask me. And then they start contouring their body <laughs> and falling backwards and screaming, no, you know? And um, I'm reminded of sin nature in that moment. And you get older, you get better coping mechanisms. Amen, somebody? Still the same source, but we, get, we just can shroud it better. And you know, there are times with Christ as king that we don't want to submit and surrender and obey his ways. So what do we do? We just blatantly disobey. And God would call us, I believe, as his followers, to not have lip service of a king, but to have heart surrender as a king. And so listen, if you're new to the faith, don't, don't blame the devil. <laughs> Own it. <laughs> but keep moving forward. Because if I can just be transparent, don't tell anybody this, okay? Online, let's cut this moment. There are times that, as a pastor that I'm still capable of disobeying. I have to repent, confess my sin, and Lord, teach my heart. I never want to move beyond humility. We never, and I don't say that with a false humility. <laughs> that sounded arrogant. I did, what I mean is that we would just walk humbly before the Lord and keep moving forward. Make a mistake, get back on the saddle. Make a mistake, get back on the saddle. Make a mistake, get back on the saddle. A lot of Christianity is just repeat. Repeat. Show up next Sunday. Do your best. Follow the Holy Spirit. Make a mistake. Repent. Repeat. And you just keep going and going because here's what's so beautiful. God's grace, it's so deep. His waters of mercy run so wide. You can't, ex you can't exceed his grace. There's no sin you can do. I know you've tried, but there's no sin you can do that can undo his mercy and goodness and grace over our lives. But disobedience is an option. Partial obedience is another option. That's kind of where we pick and choose. Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll give you the authority, uh, you know, uh, uh, when it's convenient and there's some arenas of my life I want you touching, there are other arenas of my life I'd rather you not touch. That's part of the growing process. Jesus says the kingdom is like a seed and it takes root and then it grows. That's what happens. You move from disobedience, partial obedience, and then here's the good thing. You're moving into a fuller life of obedience. It's what Jesus calls the abundant life. And so as we live in that full obedience, 
we come up under the blessing of our Heavenly Father. I was thinking about, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, you know, I can't really preach or teach on king and not think about natural kingdoms. And when we immigrated in 93 from Cape Town, South Africa, big surprise, but there were certain customs and standards that are different here in America than in South Africa. I'll take one life-threatening custom. Americans drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and I realized, or rather my parents at the time realized, they're not going to change. And as many times as my father would line the vehicle up on the left side of the road, without fail, people were pulling straight towards him. And he had, a, he had to adjust. Do you think about that? I mean, it would be ridiculous if I showed up and I was like, by golly. Actually, I would, I would, by golly. I would have, by golly. This is ridiculous. And you know, come with my British accent. I'd be all dressed up, pomp and circumstance, and just say, listen, I need an exemption. You need to make some exemptions for me. Well, why? why? Well, just because of my place of birth. I'm, so, I'm from the Republic of South Africa. And I come bringing the gift of my personality for you. <laughs> so, therefore, I demand you fit my lifestyle. I know, you can feel the pain. I haven't even said it yet. But listen, we bring that into our Christianity. To our faith with God. Well, God? Listen. Listen, I'm kind of a big deal. And um, Ron Burgundy, right? Yeah, all right. But bad, bad example. Don't watch that. All right. So I, I'm kind of a big deal, and I'm bringing who I am. And, and, and God, you know, this, this is. And so what do we do? We, we, we don't adjust to his kingdom. We want him adjusting to ours, and, and, and God's saying, no, 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 no. I've started a movement, the, Chris, the Christmas movement. It's more than a casual, comfortable idea of a baby in a manger, but it is the most radical way that we can live. And it is the invitation to every single one of us. And I'm convinced, I've been following, not perfectly, no, 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 no. But I've been following the Lord for a long, long time, and I've found that He is the most gracious, the most generous, the most wise, the most joyful, hope-filled person in human history. And I encourage you to follow Him wholeheartedly. To live with Christ as King is the best possible place. Because I have tasted and seen what the principalities and powers of darkness promise. And they have a nice veneer. But their souls lead us far from hope and joy. They lead us to regret, to shame, to brokenness. But King Jesus is good. He's the true king. And so I'm going to close by reading some promises over your life with Jesus as king. Y'all get excited. This is going to be good. 
Are you ready? You may ju just go ahead. Just adjust your just seat. I was about to say, adjust yourself, which would never be said from the platform because that's strange. So, in your seat, you just may want to get ready. This is going to be good. I mean this. I mean this. Some of you, you don't know it. You don't know this, but this is your moment. Get ready to receive. Get ready to, ready to receive. I mean this. I mean this. Some of you have been losing hope. Some of you, man, you cracked that door on disappointment, and you can't seem to shut it. Listen, I'm going to release some promises over your life. King Jesus, he's a king who leads well. You've been walking through some confusion, been walking through some doubt. Hear me loud and clear. You have a ruler over your soul who's not confused. He's not left you. He's not forsaken you. Do not be a bad cheer or discouraged or downhearted. It may seem like it's been a wilderness season and a time of fog, but know that the Holy Spirit is clearing the way. He's a God who leads well. Matthew, uh, Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The Lord's leadership and direction is trustworthy. You can walk confidently as you trust in Him. He leads well. He's a king who provides. He provides. Come on, just say that out with me. He provides. You may feel isolated and all alone right now. Look around you. There are testimony upon testimony upon testimony of people that God has provided for in miraculous ways, in supernatural ways. 2020 was supposed to crumble you, supposed to cripple you, supposed to break you down, put a full stop or period at the end of your life sentence. But what? But God. He's provided. He's provided. Matthew 6, 8. Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's brought people into your life you're like, man, what's with all these strange friends? What's with all these unique individuals? Listen, God's bringing people. He's brought people in your life for the next leg of the journey. You know, as a church, it's quite remarkable. I say this. I don't, just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I say, look what the Lord has done. Let me say that. So last year, we had 49 new members. I say that to say each one of those people is here for such a time as this at Hillside for such a time as this. They're for this precious moment that God has given this church to transform this region, to transform the lives around it. You may be saying, man, I'm at a membership meal at Cast Iron Steakhouse. Well, you never ask the question, what am I doing here when steak's in front of your face? But <laughs> I know, I know. I, 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 I've, I've been there sometimes in your, in your life. You're like, what am I doing here? I know I went to the newcomer's lunch. I went through the growth track, but 
And how did he get me here? And you showed up. And you're like, man, I hope he doesn't waste my time. I hope, I hope. And you hear story after story after story of people's lives changed by the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God and his victory on the cross. You begin to get infused with hope. You begin to hear somebody else's story and it changes your story. That's how the kingdom of God works. I say that to breathe life into you. And God knows what you need before you even ask. And he knows what your future needs. For many of you, this year was community. He's brought people into your life. Psalm 50, verse 10. I like this one. All the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Some of you sitting there are like, you're one of those churches. Absolutely. We believe God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We believe the Bible, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he will make a way in the desert and he will breathe life into difficult circumstances. Psalm 37, 25, I was young and now I am old. I'm not saying that, you're saying that. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I end with this, the king who protects Psalm 91, 1 through 7. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers. Under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the air that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. God, in this moment, we come up under your leadership. We come to you on bended knee. We ask you, Father, to lead us, to provide, to protect us. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you are hands down the most patient person on the face of the planet. And that you know the moments we take two steps back and one step forward. You're so gracious to catch us and to continue to lead us forward. And Jesus, find our hearts here today, making room for you. And we don't want to just give you a casual seat at the table. Father, we put you at the head seat of our, the table of our lives. We call you King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In Jesus' name, amen.